0: Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas and movies. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. It might be just me, but I feel like we're starting to see some more Ming Dynasty dramas and movies after not seeing too many for a while. Or maybe that we are just paying more attention to the fact that there are these Ming dynasty offerings. There was Song of Youth or Yu Lou Chun featuring Bai Lu. The soundtrack for that show was very good. <laughs> Royal Feast or Shang Shi with Wu Jinyan and Xu Kai. Both of which were produced by Yu Zheng, the same producer and screenwriter for the story of Yanxi Palace. There was also last year's Shanhe Ming, The Imperial Age, which was all about the first few Ming dynasty emperors. 2019's Jingyi Zhixia, or Under the Power, featuring Alan Jialun and Tan Songyun, was also extremely popular. If we go further back, there's the Brotherhood of Blades or Xiu Chun Dao, a 2014 movie that was quite well received. And this year alone, there was Pledge of Allegiance or Shan He Chi Ying and also Under the Microscope or Xian Wei Jing Xia de Da Ming, which we reviewed. I definitely feel like we get Chinese dramas or movies set in certain time periods and waves. And maybe now we're going to get more of this Ming Dynasty time period. So with that, today we're going to do an intro to the movie episode for the Ming Dynasty movie Piercing Heart Sword or Gui Xinjian. This Ming Dynasty movie is available on Jubao TV which you can access on several platforms in the US. You can watch it for free and with English subtitles. We'll go over at a high level the plot for the movie, discuss the historical setting for it and also explore some key historical counterparts. This isn't a review necessarily for the movie, but rather an introduction to the history portrayed. We really do want to focus on the history because I think it's fascinating. I'm very excited because the Ming Dynasty is certainly an era where I feel like I haven't done a whole lot of research on it. So I'm actually enjoying all of the research we have done to tie in this movie and a lot of the other Ming Dynasty dramas we have watched this year so far. Let's do a brief plot overview of this movie. This movie is set during the reign of Emperor Hongwu, so the 30 years between 1368 to 1398. The corrupt minister Guo Lian has amassed significant wealth as well as power at court. He keeps a secret list of individuals detailing their business dealings with him. This list serves as his insurance so that no one rats the others out. And He keeps this list well hidden and can only be decoded with a special decoder. The embroidered uniform guards were sent to investigate a huge corruption scandal which would lead them closer to the corrupt minister Guo Lian. Two friends, the young Jiang Huan and the older Ding Wu, are tasked with finding any leads. In one such mission at a brothel, Jiang Huan rescues a young courtesan and gradually falls in love with her. The two of them, Jiang Huan and Ding Wu that is, report back to their boss Xu Shu of their findings. In that mission, they also recover a peculiar sword, Gui Xin Jian, or the Piercing Heart Sword. Their next mission is to rendezvous with a covert operative who has been undercover for many years. Before doing so, the older of the pair, Ding Wu, returns home to his beautiful wife, Tian Hui, and is ecstatic to find that she's pregnant. The two brothers-in-arms, Jiang Huan, wishing to buy off his beloved's deed at the brothel, and Ding Wu, wishing to save money for his wife and unborn child, vow to quickly solve the case. But as they uncover more secrets, they always seem to be one step behind. Even though both of them want to solve the case, the two need to face the realities of their life. Jiang Huan, in desperate need of money, must choose the path to take and whether or not he will betray his brothers for his own personal gain. So that is a general plot recap. The movie was a surprisingly pleasant watch. I personally enjoyed the martial arts and setting of the movie. It definitely feels more lived in than some other shows or movies that I've seen. Now let's actually turn to the bread and butter of this podcast episode. I am primarily focused on chatting about Jin Yi Wei, the powerful and mysterious organization of this movie, and the subject of many other stories and dramas. Yiwei, or Embroidered Uniform Guard, outside of this movie, was last seen on screen, uh, portrayed in Pledge of Allegiance, or Shan he Zhiying, which I did write a review for on our website, so you can check that out as well. Like we mentioned, this movie, Guixinjian, is available on Jubao with English subtitles. This group, Yiwei is renowned for their ruthlessness and capabilities, and I haven't really learned much about them, so hey, I was like, let's go down the rabbit hole and learn something new. Funnily enough, I'm looking on Taobao, and you can actually buy the uniforms as costumes. For some reason, I just find that absolutely hilarious. So hey, if you wanna be an embroidered uniform guard for Halloween, that is totally an option. You can buy the outfit (laughs) on Taobao, and it's actually not too expensive. So, this Jin Yi Wei, or the Embroidered Uniform Guards, which is what the main characters Jiang Huan and Ding Wu are a part of, was established by the first Ming Dynasty Emperor Zhu Yuanzhang in 1382 after he ascended the throne and served first as his personal police before becoming a more powerful military entity. So, for this movie, we should be set in the later years of this emperor's reign. There were prior iterations of this Jin Yi Wei, which had a lot less power. And when Zhu Yuanzhang came to power, we will discuss in a sec, that is where Jin Yi Wei become much more powerful. Zhu Yuanzhang originally created this group because he was extremely nervous of the power court officials might have over him. Well, one guy, Hu Weiyong in particular. Basically... The emperor wanted to have power to act against his own court officials. That was above all law because he, the emperor, was extremely paranoid that everyone wanted to kill him. I mean, sure, he did defeat the Mongols (laughs) to become emperor, so I guess that makes sense. Hu Yung himself, this one guy, Hu was the last chancellor of China and was executed as part of the four major cases of the early Ming Dynasty. I'll talk more about those cases later on. Well, the embroidered uniform guards were extremely powerful as they reported directly to the Emperor. Under their remit was investigation, arresting, interrogating, and throwing in jail pretty much anyone and everyone. No noble, court official, or member of the imperial family was above the power of the embroidered uniform guards. That's why you could say people were very scared of Jin Yue or these embroidered uniform guards whenever they walked around. In many of the on-screen portrayals, these guards were either super badass and extremely skilled or evil. <laughs> Well, I guess it's not exclusive. They can be both badass and evil. The selection process to be chosen into the embroidered uniform guards, as you can imagine, was also extremely stringent, and they underwent intense training in order to serve. These guards served for pretty much the entirety of the Ming Dynasty. And this was surprising to me that the Qing Dynasty kept a version of this organization after entering into the mainland. It wanted to mirror what was established in the Ming Dynasty and only during Shunzhi's rule in 1645 did the name change and Jin Yi Wei was officially no more. That's almost 300 years for this organization. Of course, it's not like the Qing or Manchu leaders kept the same people from Wei, from the Ming dynasty, but more like keeping the idea of the organization. And again, I find that really fascinating. As you can imagine, the Wei didn't stay the exact same during its entirety of its historical run. As with many of these incredibly powerful organizations, their power ebbed and flowed with the times, but overall remained quite elevated. For example, the embroidered uniform guard, when they were established, also had a special and horrifying prison called Zhao Yu or the Imperial Edict Prison. While not a major player or prominently shown in Gui Xin Jian or Piercing Heart Sword, it is mentioned quite heavily in Pledge of Allegiance or Shan He Zhi Ying. This place housed special prisoners and there were different iterations of this prison throughout Chinese history but the Jin Yiwei version requires a special mention for just how horrific and cruel it was. Have any of you ever visited medieval castles or towns in Europe and seen the torture chambers there? Well, apparently, the Jingyiwei prison had all the bells and whistles of the most horrifying torture devices available in order to help the emperor solve crimes and enforce order. And when I say solve crimes, that is a very loose way of saying getting the answer you want through torture. Luckily, the emperor Zhu Yuanzhang, so the same guy who created Jingyiwei, recognized In later years that this torture prison was probably not a lasting solution and ordered all of these devices be destroyed and the prisoners sent to another organization for the judiciary process that's all well and good but then the prison came back in later years when it was needed by the emperor at the time to maintain order that he wanted Because this type of organization amassed so much power, many of these stories that we read of or hear about for this entity are ones of injustice or framed victims and prisoners. So many movies or dramas are about the spies and those in the organization that have betrayed the Brotherhood, if you will. That was a core theme in Piercing Heart Sword. That makes this organization the embroidered, uh, uniform guard, a messy but fun treasure trove of stories to tell. You can go so many ways with talking about Jin Yi Wei. Well, one of the challenges of watching dramas about the embroidered uniform guards is understanding all of the titles of people within the organization because they are quite distinct but kind of hard to follow. At least for me, after watching Pledge of Allegiance and Piercing Heart Sword, I was like, who's the higher authority here? You just are the one standing there instead of actually going on missions. And I assume you're the one in charge. (laughs) I've not paid attention to these titles, so what's going on? Or it was like, this character is fighting for a promotion to XYZ title, and I had no context for what that meant. So the lowest level is a xiao qi at a lower 7th rank or a cong qi pin and then the ranks move up. Kind of similar to what you would see at court. The two leads in the movie started out as xiao qi or at the 7th rank level. Then there's the bai hu which is a zheng liu pin or a standard 6th rank and then a qian hu which is a zheng pin, which is a standard fifth rank. Do you understand why it's now a little bit confusing? Because bai hu means hundred, and then tian hu means thousand. But then you only jump from a sixth rank to a fifth rank, and I thought, you know, you might be jumping many ranks there. Well, you work your way up to the head of the organization as a Hui shi, or zheng san pin, or to the standard third rank. At this level, you are a confidant of the emperor himself. I'm a little surprised at the third rank. For some reason, I thought the position would be higher given how much power the organization has and how much power typically the zhi hui shi seems to have in all of the Chinese dramas. So hopefully that helps clarify this. I wish I had done this research before I watched uh, Pledge of Allegiance and also Piercing Heart Sword because I was rather lost uh, trying to figure out who was who and why everyone was fighting for that extra title or whatnot. We can't talk about the embroidered uniform guard without talking about their uniforms. The guards could be given... Generally, three major types of outfits or uniforms. The first one is a Mong Fu or a serpent or python uniform or outfit. The second one is the flying fish outfit or the Feiyu Fu. And then you also have the fighting bull outfit or the Don Fu. The Mong Fu was a special outfit specifically gifted by the Emperor, so any individual wearing those robes had high ranking in front of the Emperor. Similarly, the Fu is for officials of the first rank. The feiyu Fu or the flying fish outfit is, in my opinion, one of the most often presented outfits on screen. Why flying fish? This is not just any flying fish. And honestly, when I was Googling it, flying fish, they literally just gave me like one of the flying fish pictures out there. But this flying fish is not just any old flying fish. It originates from the Shan He Jing or the classic of mountains and seas and is a mythical creature that has a dragon-like head, fish body, and then bird-like feathers. The body of the animal also has serpentine scales. So this Fei Fu is a uniform of sorts for the embroidered uniform guards. While Fei Yuf has different iterations and can be worn by more than just the Jin Yi Wei, it is most often associated with them. Color-wise, in Piercing, Heart Sword, and many other on-screen adaptations, the outfits were dark blue, but there are other dramas or movies that show them in varying shades of red and also yellow. Outside of these outfits, the other major accessory for a Jin that is part of the uniform but is generally has to be uh, gifted by the emperor is the beautiful Xiao Chun Dao. This ornate broadsword is slightly curved and tied around the waist and it is considered a short weapon. In movies and dramas, there are many badass fight scenes that involve the Jin or the guard's fighting with these xiao chun dao, though it is debatable. I've read varying accounts of whether or not xiao chun dao was used for just ceremonial purposes versus actually for fighting. It might just be something that you tie around your waist and make it look really cool, but you're not actually fighting with this sword. What's interesting though, is the title of the movie is actually a straight sword or jian instead of a dao, which is a broad sword. Well, this movie draws heavily from a real-life case from the reign of Emperor Hongwu Zhu Yuanzhang during the Ming Dynasty. This case is one of the four major cases of the early Ming Dynasty, specifically the Guo Huan case. In the movie, the big bad is named Guo Lian, but both are officials in the Ministry of Revenue, so close enough. In history, this case occurred in 1385. Guo Huan and several other officials were caught committing tax fraud, embezzlement of grain, and then selling the grain for profit, and levying illegal taxes to fill up their own coffers. The amount they embezzled was quite staggering. There's some conflicting accounts, but Hua Huan and his accomplices embezzled either 7 million pickles or 24 million picles of grain. But also quite a large range, so it's like, hmm. When the fraud was discovered, this set off a firestorm throughout the empire. The emperor himself decided that in order to quell the outrage from the populace because, like we said, 7 million peakles or 24 million people, regardless, that's a lot of grain that went missing or was purely used for profit for those specific individuals. The emperor essentially executed all of the vice ministers of the six ministries. I'll put it this way. Emperor Hongwu was a rather bloodthirsty emperor, and in his later years, he killed a lot of people. Now, I don't know if the embroidered uniform guards were directly involved in solving this case. We don't really have that from historical records. But this case and the other three cases that make up the four major cases in the Ming dynasty did contribute to Emperor Hongwu's desire to set up the embroidered uniform guards and essentially have this own not-so-secret police to do his bidding. Another outcome from this particular case, according to Baike, is that after the case, the emperor ordered the use of writing numbers in a more complicated way to minimize fraud. In English, we use the Arabic numbers of one, two, three, but we can also write that out uh, in letters like O-N-E. It is much harder to change the numbers when you write out O-N-E. For and example, you have the letter three and eight. You know, you can easily make the three and eight, right? You can embezzle that or like change that a little bit. But if you write T-H-R-E-E and E-I-G-H-T, that'll be a lot uh, more complicated or difficult to uh, swap out. That was basically the similar thought in Chinese. The number one is usually written as a straight horizontal line, Two are two horizontal lines and three, three horizontal lines. Ten is essentially a cross. You can imagine it's pretty easy to make a one into a two or a one into a ten and so forth in accounting books. Also, ladies and gentlemen, now you guys have learned four different ways or four uh, Chinese characters. So, you know, today you learn some Chinese. Instead, what people had to use for bookkeeping is a very different and difficult character altogether for the numbers. So one, now, instead of having one stroke, has 12 brush strokes. So yeah, it's much more difficult to change it easily from a one to a two now. I remember when I was first learning Chinese characters way back when, when I was young, I was like, great. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then I remember... I was reading a book um, for some other reason, and they had these very different, difficult characters of one, two, three, four, and I was like, I have no idea how to even read some of these, I'm guessing. But um, now I know, it's actually based off of this particular case that we have two ways of writing the word one. All right, and lastly to wrap up, I actually wanna talk about the title of this movie. Specifically one word. Gui xin jian means piercing heart sword. Specifically I want to talk about the word gui. It is not one word we normally see, and it is comprised of two parts Sui, on the left, which means a year, and the radical for sword on the right. Or tao. The word is not normally used, and the other word that we typically use for pierce is actually 次. 次 is a much more commonly used word. You'll use it, for example, in 次客 or assassin, 次 to pierce, 次身 or sashimi. Gui. we rarely use that. I mean, I barely have seen that word used in books and I read a ton of books. Maybe I just need to find different books to read. But even in the specific movie, one of the characters said, hey, for the specific sword that is called gui Jian, can you please put it away? Because the word gui just makes it seem a lot more ominous. So what's very interesting is I thought, for me at least, this was a rabbit hole down linguistic research to see why particularly this word was used. But gui, if I take a look, is meant for piercing, but definitely has much more of a negative or serious connotation than even ts, which is the word we use more commonly. And there you have it an introduction to this Ming dynasty movie piercing heart sword and also the organization of the embroidered uniform guards or jing yi way thanks again so much for listening and we will catch you in the next podcast episode